0: This episode of Bird's Eye View is brought to you by Be More Around Town. If it's a major event in Baltimore or anywhere on the road, you know Be More Around Town is involved. From their efforts to support reopening day to home games, pre-parties, to orange road trips, they are the best way to get social all through Berlin. Game tickets, drink tickets, DJ, transportation for road games, they've got it all. And it's not just the Orioles. Be More Around Town has purple road trip packages to all seven away sites for the Ravens' schedule. Show the league just how well Ravens' nation travels. Just sit back and let Be More Around Town handle the planning. Let me give you an example. Next week, Be More Around Town is taking an orange road trip to the city of brotherly love to watch the Orioles take on the Phillies. You get a round-trip luxury motor coach with Wi-Fi, outlets, and flat-screen televisions beer and snacks on the way up, and an Orioles tailgate featuring beer along with premium catered food, tailgate games, and music. Not to mention you get a great commemorative t-shirt to remember the day. Check it out at BeMoreAroundTown.com.
1: Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network.
0: Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Oh! <laughs> <laughs>
1: The Oreos. watching
0: the Oreos. and welcome back to bird's eye view when it comes to the Oreos, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and baseless opinion today is june 8th 2015 this is episode 125 i'm scott magnus and i'm here with my big boy my color commentator jake english for those listening to us, you should be over at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com, but you could also be checking us out at Baltimore Sports Report. Check us out there um, for post-game shows that are on Tuesday and Thursday nights. Uh, we're normally there pretty much every Tuesday and Thursday night because we just love to talk about Orioles baseball and be frustrated when the Orioles eventually lose on Tuesdays and Thursday nights. Uh, but you should also be checking out Baltimore Sports Today with Zach Wilton, and Jebby Burns, talking about Baltimore Sports each and every day. Give them a subscription on iTunes. They, they need it and... Uh, we we like to support our friends. You should also be checking us out on various other third party applications such as Stitcher, Mirror, and Double Twist, and I suppose that iTunes product I just mentioned. Give us a review if you get a chance, and most importantly, check us out on social media at Facebook and most importantly, Twitter at Birdseye View B A L. With that, Jake, most important time of the show. What's your drink of the week? My drink of the week
2: is uh, well Scott it's Sloppy Seconds. Okay. We had a great event here at Casa de Magnus uh, this weekend to celebrate— I don't speak Mexican. (laughs) To celebrate the 30th birthday of a good friend of ours, Jamie Baker. And in doing so, you had a little bit uh, of—well, it was some beer left over. Yeah. Um, So I'm drinking a Harp Lager, which was uh, left over in the fridge. Great party idea, by the way. It was a beer-around-the-world party. Yeah. Participants brought beer from a different country as assigned ahead of time. And it was a total recipe for a headache the next
0: day. I will mention, too, that the first country that went out of beer was America. America! USA! USA! Scott, what are you drinking this evening? Jake, I am drinking something from my private stash that wasn't left over. It's a swill from Mexico. Actually, Corona's not really Mexico. It's imported and made in Chicago in reality. But I'm drinking a Dogfish Head Namaste. I believe I've already had that this year on top, on this podcast. But uh, it's a mighty, mighty fine beverage. Um, with that, if anyone wants to follow us on Untappd, you can follow me at magn8606 and Jake, Jake e4025. All right, with that, let's dive into the medical wing. The medical wing, you know, it's a little less full
2: than it used to be. About time. At, at this point, we're really just waiting to hear back about Hunter Harvey. Yeah, we're waiting to hear back about Jonathan Scope, and there is a little bit of, of good news about that. Uh, Jonathan Scope is participating i won't say playing he's participating in extended spring training games getting some at bats um he's doing a lot of running drills but he's not playing the field at this point i think the lateral motion is the last thing that's going to come back sure the orioles are hopeful that he's going to be back i've i've seen before the all-star break i've seen around the all-star break frankly you and i thought that that was an injury that was going to be basically the entire season yeah if we can get him back for any part of the stretch run I say that's a bonus. If you can get
0: him back after the All-Star break, goodness gracious, I will take that any day of the week. So, you know, take your time, Scope. But we're looking back, looking forward to seeing you. Other person I want to talk about is Kevin Gossman, who's making his first rehab assignment um, which after going into the DL with shoulder tendonitis. Pitched in Frederick. Three innings pitched, four Ks, one hit. Velocity was up to 98 miles per hour. That's a pretty good sign, in my opinion, that uh that velocity is there even after three innings of pitching. So... Uh, I like what I'm saying there. Look, everybody loves the velocity almost
2: as much as they love the long ball. But i got to be honest, I'm only going to be happy with Kevin Gosman when I see that he's going six, seven innings. Sure. And you know what? That velocity is not going to be there in those long starts. That velocity is something that's going to creep back down to 93, 95, I think, in the late innings, because that's what he's going to need to stay at to be able to continue on every fifth day.
0: Yeah, I do remember last year in Boston, though, in July, when he actually only went five innings because he was getting mercifully torched torched in terms of um, foul balls after foul ball after foul ball, but he actually had a good amount of strikeouts that game, and uh, I remember he was, I think he struck out Mike Napoli on a 99-mile-per-hour fastball to end the inning, so I think it's similar to what we saw with Mike Wright, where he can amp it up if he needs to. Um, but you're right, there is a little bit of velocity drop over time as he progresses to the game. But I think he's got that enough of that stuff where he can dial it up when necessary. Um, it'll be interesting to see more so if he's developed that slurve like we've talked about and whether that is going to be uh, a decent pitch for him. Another individual I want to talk about, um, which is a pitcher that had high status coming out of spring training, uh, Jason Garcia. You mean we were high to think that we could keep him on the twenty-five man roster? Yeah, that's pretty much what I'm going for. Jason Garcia has dropped off the map entirely. There really is no talk about when he's expected to be back. I know Rakibako had a injury report from him and said, "Yeah, he's progressing," which is slang for let's hope nobody else notices him. This is not the Rule Five pitcher you're looking for. Yes, um, you know I'm, I'm a little surprised that he wasn't involved, perhaps in that Alejandro Diaz trade. But in all honesty, I'm not entirely surprised because if that's the case, then he would have had to be exposed to waivers and maybe someone would have picked him up. So uh, Jason Garcia, the last time we checked in on him, he was going to go see the Tampa Bay Lightning play the Chicago Blackhawks in Game 1 in Tampa Bay. Um, Way to keep up the rehab assignment, boy.
2: I think that going to watch a sport that is – not very important, is a good way to recover
0: toward playing a sport that is important. Look, it's very important he went and went and saw this this sport here with the guy that was riding American Pharaoh with the croquet ball, right? Yeah, absolutely. But okay. I
2: think the most important part was that he had every opportunity on the walk in through the parking lot to hit a pothole. Okay, that's true. Um, with that, let's go over to the twat. All right. This week on the Twitters, first I'm going to hit a t- uh, tweet from Orioles Uncensored, a great Orioles podcast, which you can find at O's Uncensored. Please go make sure you check them out. Uh, they tweeted as follows: Bud Norris, C plus, some good stuff, but needs to get better. My question is this: Are we are we grading on a curve? Like what? What are we doing?
0: Here? I thought his command was pretty good, and that was my biggest issue with Bud Norris to this whole game, whole situation, which was
2: command, command, command. Here was my biggest thing with Bud Norris. Sure. He bent, he did not break. Okay. He never imploded. Did he walk a couple guys? Yes. Did he give a a couple back-to-back singles? Absolutely. But when men got on base, not...
0: All of them scored. And that is the difference. Yeah. So high LOB percentage, basically, which has been the Orioles' MO for the past three seasons.
2: Look, nobody's going to be perfect. And I'm not saying that he looked fantastic. Especially
0: Bud Norris isn't going to be perfect.
2: (laughs) But I think that C-plus might be a little harsh. First time out of the gate. That's all.
0: I'm going to give him a B-minus. So just, you know, at least raise the GP up a little bit. That's all I ask. All right. Next on the Twitter... And first in our hearts, this comes from Rockabotka. You can follow him at Mass and Rock. Buckshow Walter, one thousand two hundred and eighty-five, passes Frank Silly for sole possession of thirty-fourth place on the all time manager wins list. Hashtag Orioles. Buckshow Walter inching closer and closer to being a Hall of Fame manager.
2: Absolutely. And uh, you know, if he wins the big one here with the Orioles, he he absolutely will be. Guaranteed. What I really want to look forward to is having Buckshow Walter known as Orioles Manager and some other stuff. And the guy who is mentioned as second to Earl Weaver as the managerial, you know, candidate of choice here in Baltimore. Uh, next on the Twitter, a little something that it shows just how amazing going three for four will do. Uh, the good things it can do for a fan's outlook. Ranting Oriole bird who tweets out at Ranting Oriole tweets: Baseball is fun again.
0: Ah, uh, what going nearly five hundred will do to you after losing five in a row. <laughs>
2: Three of their last four.
0: Okay, three of their last four, but they lost five in a row. Scott, I look
2: at I look at it as three of the last four because my glass of excuses
0: is half full. Okay, that's fair. Can I talk to you about something? Please do. Baseball is really weird. I've heard. Yeah. So Jeff Passan posts, and you can follow him at Jeff Passan. It is June seventh, and the Minnesota Twins had the best record in American League. That is all. It's very strange. There is no one in the world that would have predicted the Minnesota Twins to have the best record in the American League, let alone lead the American League Central. The Minnesota Twins, I don't know what they're doing, but they've harnessed some of that devil magic that the Cardinals have had. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how long that lasts. I know we said it oftentimes in 2012 it can't last, it can't last, it can't last.
2: Uh, maybe the Minnesota Twins have a little bit of that horseshoe up their butts. I like to think that somewhere there is a podcast just starting for the Minnesota Twins and they expected their team to lose a hundred wins and they are on this magical ride. So whoever you are out there, enjoy
0: it. I'm sorry to the Minnesota people out there having to listen to such a terrible podcast.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And lastly for the twat, I want to go to a tweet uh, from Greg Johns who tweets at Greg Johns MLB and, uh, it's it's a little familiar. Mariners fall to the Rays 3-1, finish homestand 2-9. and 9. They've scored three runs or less in club record tying 12 straight games. Darn it, we should have signed Nelson Cruz. I know how to fix that. I know how to fix that. All right. You sign Nelson Cruz, and all of your offensive woes are gone forever. Yeah.
0: And that's what is the difference between a winning ball club and a losing ball club. Yeah. And then having, like, Robinson Cannell and Kyle Seager, really good players. And Oh, wait. They have all those guys, and all of a sudden they went through a bad stretch, especially against the Rays team, too, who is a really good starting pitching rotation right now.
2: So you're saying he isn't the solution to a team's
0: problems. He helps, but it doesn't solve everything. Apparently it doesn't help yeah. that much. Yeah. Um. Well, there's definitely a lot of discontent within Baltimore with the current roster situation, and that's called for a lot of people to say, you know, we should have re-signed Nelson Cruz. We should have signed Andrew Miller. And a lot of people are ready to, well, sink the ship and start over again by turning people away. Let's go talk to someone that says that might be a little preemptive.
2: You know, Scott, one of the big storylines ever since spring training is that we continue to hear about this upcoming offseason with 11 pending free agents. Well, you know, now it's 10 with the departure of Alejandro Diaz. But the Orioles are are fluttering and and barely treading water. And over the last several weeks, a lot of fans have been saying that maybe it's time for the uh, fire sale at uh, at the trade deadline. Andrew Stetka of Utah Street Report wrote about this very topic in his weekly column over at Mass & Sports, you can find his thoughts over there every Monday morning. You can find them at Utah street report on Thursday. Andrew made the key mistake of coming here to talk to us here at bird's eye view. So Andrew, thanks very much for your time.
1: Uh, it's a pleasure guys.
2: All right. So your, uh, your article discusses whether or not the Orioles should wave the white flag in 2015. What do you think?
1: You know, I don't think it's time as much as everybody has kind of talked about it. Um, you know, everybody wants us to sell and sell, sell, sell. I, that's all I've heard, really. Um, there's no hope for this team. There's no, there's no offense. Uh, you know, there's not enough pitching. And I just, I, I don't, you know, number one, it's early June. Um, you know, the trade deadline is not until the end of July, obviously. So it's, it's still a little early for me to even talk that way. And I'm not saying that the time may not come about, uh, that, that it would be time for the Orioles to try to sell off some of their pieces. But I just don't think the time is quite now.
0: Okay. I mean, the the one thing that a lot of people will say is, you know, going into this offseason, there's no way that the or is going to be able to re-sign everything. So eventually, this team is going to go through a rebuilding phase, and next year could be that rebuilding phase where maybe this team isn't quite as good as they have been in the past three years. Um, is it time, you know, really to say, okay, if you, even if we're close and we're a 500-team around the trade deadline, do we just make the move and be sellers and get the most amount of value at that time, or do we just say, you know what? Anything can happen as we've seen over the past three years. Streaks can be had, which the Orioles have done a great job, especially last year, with going on a great streak after June. Um, do the Orioles just say, let's see what happens and roll the dice and see to try to get into the playoffs again?
1: Well, and I think that's the balance that the team is gonna have to strike here over the next uh, you know, month and a half as they figure that out. There's obviously a lot of pending free agents, as you guys mentioned. And, you know, if, if, if the right deal comes along for some of these players, I don't think they should be hesitant to pull the trigger. Um, at the same time, as long as they're going to remain in contention in this division, um, you know, as long as they're only going to sit a few games out, even if they are in last place, there's going to be a chance for them to make the playoffs. And as we saw last season, um, and, and as we've seen in, in seasons even before last All it takes sometimes is getting in for you to be able to make a run. I mean, we saw two teams last year that both played in the wildcard game that both played for the World Series. So um, it doesn't take much. And even if you don't, you know, fancy yourself a major contender, as long as you're in contention for your division, you've got a chance to go and win a World Series. And I think that that's a really important factor.
2: Well, let me ask you this. If we're going to go ahead and, and sell off talent, the thing is that somebody else has to want it. One of the big moves that happened last year for the Orioles was acquiring Andrew Miller for Eduardo Rodriguez, and whether or not in the armchair uh, quarterbacking GM uh, standpoint that was a good idea or it wasn't, I think my real question is this. Does this Orioles team have an Andrew Miller to deal out for real talent in return, or are we looking at something that it's going to be middling talent to bring back middling talent?
1: Well, I don't think anybody has an Andrew Miller, um, you know, obviously he was a, a supreme talent that came in here and, and frankly was dominant. Um, and I, I think the only issue that I have with the Miller deal is the fact that there didn't seem to be any real desire to re-sign him in the off season. If, if, if there was at least a thought that maybe the Orioles could bring him back, you know, on, on, another deal, uh, you know, the, that, that, that trade looks a little better. Now, obviously Andrew Miller was a big factor in the Orioles getting to the to the ALCS last year, so you don't take that away. Um, and and it was a big deal for for the team to be able to get him and, and really solidify the back end of that bullpen. But I think the Orioles have a few pieces. Um, you know, if if the time does come that they could sell, uh, you know, at the deadline, and and maybe they maybe they wouldn't be um, of Andrew Miller's impact to the Orioles of last year. But players like Chris Davis, um, perhaps Bud Norris. Um maybe even Matt Weeders if the time were to come. Uh Wei and Chen, all these guys are, you know, free agent types. And then there's some guys in the bullpen too. Um Tommy Hunter is, is you know, on that list. Um he's a, a power arm that could that could help a team down the stretch in, in perhaps a sixth or seventh, maybe eighth inning role, um, you know, going forward. So there's there's a lot of different I mean, you, you guys talked about it. There's a lot of free agents that are going to be on this team. There's not a lot of guaranteed contracts going forward. So the roster is definitely you know, going to look different come, come this time next year.
0: I think one of the things, too, that we've noticed, too, and we talked about this with various people, is one of the reasons the Orals have exceeded so much over the past few seasons is their ability to turn uh, minor league free agents or, you know, Players that are not supposed to be as good as they are, Let's take, for example, Steve Pierce last year and Jimmy Paredes um, at the beginning of this year, and they've turned them into some kind of value. Definitely not you know superstars, but really good um, players that give you not negative war, but just slightly above average war. Um, and I think that's a really big thing for this team to say, okay, we're able to take a player that might only cost 2 or $3 million and turn them into something. And it seems to be a knack that Dan Duquette and Buckshaw Walter possess. Um you know, going into these trades and looking for these mid-level prospects or for these players that, you know, might not be stars on their team, but maybe the Orioles can turn them into something. Um, Do you think that's something that the Orioles have to give consideration to when they're looking at these trades?
1: Well, yeah. And the other, the other fact, all of what you just said there is totally true. And the other factor is roster flexibility. We've Mm -hmm. seen it a lot this year. Uh, This is a team that doesn't have a lot of it. They need guys that, You know that are that are younger that have less service time that that have the flexibility to be able to be sent down to the minor leagues. Um, Players like Mike Wright and Oliver Drake um, and Tyler Wilson. You know these young guys that are that are you know coming up and contributing to the big league roster, but can also be sent down and you know give the team a little flexibility in that way. Um, Those are all crucial factors in, in. you know Dan Duquette's way of building a roster, um, and you know if if the Orioles are able to eventually perhaps sell off some of these you know known commodities, if you will, um, and get some players that you know are, are maybe major league contributors, but also have that roster flexibility, that could be a good thing down the road.
0: No, I totally agree with you. I mean, if you look at like when Jason Garcia went in the DL for shoulder tendonitis, that bullpen having the ability to have that roster flexibility of optioning players. Um, really has paid dividends. The bullpen has been outstanding over the past few weeks, and you know when you look at it, you're like, you know, Oliver Drake. You know, for the first few games was great, and then all of a sudden, when he started to hit a rough patch all right, back down to Norfolk, where you were going to bring up another player. That cycling in and out of when players are hot and then when they go cold is, uh, again, a way that the Orioles for the past three seasons have basically contributed to not having a lot of players negatively contribute to their war, but again, have little tiny things to build up into a massive thing. We've also seen negative war players such as Everett Cabrera, Alejandro Diaz, and Ryan LeVarnway who have been absolutely poor and given us a negative four, have been designated for assignment or released by the Orioles as well. So I think that's going to be, I agree with you, that's something that the Orioles are going to continue to do, and that's the way they've succeeded over the past few years. Jake, I think you had a question.
2: Yeah, I wanted to piggyback on your uh, your comment about minor league free agents. My question is this. Uh, with the success that the Orioles have had with minor league free agents, does it make the, the uh, restocking of the system with these mid-level prospects that will come back for a deal for a guy like, you know, uh, bud norris or or a chris davis or something like that does it does it minimize the impact and the necessity of these deals because the orioles are so good at finding the diamonds in the rough elsewhere you mean like chas row yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> i don't know if it minimizes the impact i think anytime you're going to trade a player if you, you know if you're going to trade a player like bud norris or a player like chris davis i think you need to get it right um you know i don't think you can screw that up and and look at it as, okay, it's not a big deal. You know, we can still be successful even if we screwed that trade up. Oh, the that, Orioles can are, screw it know, up. If, <laughs> if you're going to deal those players, it's 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 got to be the right move. Um, And and I think long term, you know, the the, the Orioles are still looking at, they still have a lot of players that are even in the system that they really need to get a look at. They really need to find out down the road if if these players are going to make an impact. Um, We we already talked about Mike Wright, Oliver Drake, Tyler Wilson, who we've seen this year. I think the Orioles want to find out if those guys are contributors, Um, whether they're back into the bullpen guys or whether they're starting, you know, starting rotation type of guys like Mike Wright. we We think he might be a starter. So, you know, if they do end up dealing a player like Bud Norris, maybe Mike Wright just slips right into the rotation and they, it's a sink or swim time and you find out. Um, you know, Kevin Gossman's another big factor here. They want to find a spot for him when he gets healthy. Um, you know, you don't, want to, you don't want to put him on that train to Norfolk. I've been counting this all season. Um, you know, why waste innings with him down with the tides when he can be pitching for the Orioles? Um, and not in a bullpen role. If you if you really think these guys are are going to be contributors long term, you want to kind of get a look at them. And that's the other the other factor here with with you know the the quote unquote sell off some of these players uh, mantra is that you're you have some players down there right now that could possibly be contributors. You know as early as next season, as early as uh, we're talking April of of 2016. So uh, the other the other name that kind of comes to mind is Christian Walker um chris davis could could be on his way out of town here in the near future and and you know you they want to find out if Christian Walker could be the first baseman of the future.
0: One thing that I want to talk about uh, in that regard too is all these minor league talents coming up um the Orioles have certainly had some really good appearances here um you know last year Dan Duquette was talking about it with prospects, and he said, you know we oftentimes use our prospects to go out and get bigger and better players. Andrew Miller, of course, was one of them um but my my question is. Is there a chance that the Orioles may be showcasing some of these prospects? And how close do you think the Orioles would need to be to consider buying at the deadline and trading away some of this talent?
1: Well, that's that's, that's another, you know, total can of worms. I, I don't.
0: That's what we're here for is cans of worms.
1: Yeah, exactly. I don't think you're going to see the Orioles go and make a trade of a player like Mike Wright. Or I don't think you'll see them deal, you know, uh, Christian Walker or Daryl Alvarez, or any of these prospects that they think can be contributors i don't think you're you know because of the fact that you you risk losing not only losing those players but also losing all the free agents that are on the twenty five man roster mm-hmm. right now, you could really empty out the cupboard and that's a, that's a that's a big risk to take so i you know in terms of buying if you're going to be buying, I think you're going to see them make a deal like trading Bud Norris or maybe trading a reliever to get something else back um, that maybe helps a different part of the roster, perhaps a corner outfielder or something like that. I don't think you'll see them empty the cupboard of prospects and then risk also losing the free agents that are already on the roster. I just think that that sets you up for, for failure going forward
2: i'm I'm really glad that you used the phrase "empty the cupboard' so that I didn't have to go it would be the first one to go to that cliche. Thank you, but it leads me <laughs> to my next question. Um, we have a ton of free agents leaving. Um, so the major league cupboard will be somewhat bare. Um Duquette will have a lot of decisions to make on how to reshape the team, how to replace basically half the roster next year. Does this represent the closing of a window? You know, maybe one particular window? Or is there enough of a, a talented nucleus left to build around if it's not a huge rebuild?
1: Well, I think that's what's really sparked this entire um, debate over whether or not the team should sell is, is the, you know, we'll, we'll use another cliche here, the quote unquote window of opportunity. Um, whether or not there are enough pieces, uh, you know, uh, major pieces around this team to, to kind of keep this run going. Um, and I think that that's going to be proven in what the Orioles actually do or don't do at the trade deadline. Uh, you know, you mention all these free agents. The only players that are really uh, part of this core going forward are, you know, Adam Jones, Manny Machado, uh, Ubaldo Jimenez because of his contract, mm-hmm. and and J.J. Hardy really. Um, other than that, you know, you've got a couple of other guys that are either arbitration eligible that will, you know, that will be here that will be here long term. But but no one with a long term uh, guaranteed contract like those guys, and and uh, you know it's it's just one of those things that you kind of have to balance that and in keeping the window open, but also not you know not risking everything for one run. And I feel like a lot of a lot of fans feel like that's what the team kind of tried to do last year when they dealt Eduardo Rodriguez for Andrew Miller, and uh, uh, it didn't work out. They fell short in the ALCS, and while that was a great run, it was obviously amazing to see, um, it wasn't the ultimate goal. And I think a lot of fans, you know, they they want to keep the window open, but they also want, you know, it's the the age-old question. Would you take selling it all for for one World Series, or would you rather be competitive and and in the playoffs for the next six, seven years? I'd like that too, but I like like the first one. Right. (laughs) If they go and win the World Series this year, and then they are, you know, below 500 for the next five or six, you know, i probably take that trade.
0: Andrew, we've it's been waiting first, our whole for lives for this. We want it now.
1: Of course, of <laughs> course. But but that's also that's also a big risk to factor in how hard it is to actually get there. I mean, the Orioles, everyone thought that they had a real chance last year, and obviously it didn't happen. Um, I, I honestly, you know, going into the playoffs last year, and especially after the Orioles beat the Tigers in the Division Series, I thought they were winning the World Series. I legitimately did. Um, they ran into a hot team in the Royals, and it didn't quite work out. It, it just—it just proves how hard it is. There's, there's, there's so many teams after the same goal, and if you don't strike that perfect balance, um, it, it, you know, sometimes it doesn't work out. So, do you risk it and go for it all, and you know, say say they fall short again this year, even if they were to make the playoffs, but then heck, make a run to the ALCS or to the World Series, but not win it, and then sacrifice perhaps the next four to five to six years of Talent or do you, do you continue trying to build this window and, and, and keep it open for the next five to six years and you know get a, get a couple different shots at the playoffs and, and maybe make a run? It's, it's a weird balance to strike and it's, you know, it, it's not just in baseball. We see this in a lot of sports um, where you know teams try to keep that competitive window open. And that's what the Orioles, you know, this this trade deadline is going to prove to be very crucial for the Orioles to do that.
2: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, not only was I, after the Orioles uh, beat the Tigers, expecting them to, to win the World Series, I thought they were going to solve world hunger, uh, cure cancer. They were just, they were going to go on to bigger and, and greater things. But the, the thing I think is so interesting about this discussion is the number of fans who survived 14 years of futility. Who saw three years of winning baseball and who are willing to wait uh, through another rebuild of, you know, trading off talent to get prospects and what have you. That seems like an interesting dichotomy to me. A, a, a fan base that was impatient, that had heard enough of the excuses, that had heard enough of the plans, who saw a team win on the field, uh, would then be okay with basically trying again because, uh, you know, uh, the The talent on the field is certainly no guarantee of victory, uh, but uh, the, the talent of the minor leagues is even less of a guarantee uh, of victory. So I, I think it's a very interesting uh, approach for a lot of folks that have been waiting a very long time to see the Orioles uh, go further.
1: Well, I think winning creates a lot of that. You know, winning, winning, winning will give a lot of people patience, and that's what the team has been doing. So people are going to they're going to bear with it a little more. Um, if the team was mired in a you know an eight eight season or dare I say it, fourteen season losing streak, uh, people wouldn't be this patient. Um the fact that they see them out there being competitive and, and winning the division last year, getting the playoffs a couple years here now, that that creates that patience. And I, I think it's an interesting balance between, you know, I don't think team I don't think fans are ready to see this team rebuild. Um I think they're ready to see them if I may use another cliche, retool. But mm-hmm. they want to see them add pieces rather than um, you know, sell off a bunch and wait a year or two for 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 the minor leaguers to really grow and 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 be, become seasoned and and be ready to compete again. They don't want to see that. They don't want to see a team you know go away for, for a year or two and, and not be competitive uh, and wait. They want to see a retooling process and 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 that's what some of the some of the better teams in baseball have been able to do that 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 remain competitive. They retool. Uh, look at the San Francisco Giants. They just seem to. Kind of retool every year, and and if they lose a piece here or there, they they pick up pick up someone else off the scrap heap and and make them good again. And that's what that's how that's how baseball teams are successful, and 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 year that's how they compete year in and year out.
0: I totally agree with you, Andrew. And that is a good way to close out this interview. With you know, you're coming into perhaps one of the greatest off-season free agency markets, um, probably in the past five or six years. And the Orioles going to have over sixty million dollars in their budget to spend on free agency don't remember a year where the Orioles had that much available money available to them to go out and spend. And that's with, you know, the budget and the forecast. I mean, if they decide to go over that, they could do so. But keeping of where they have been for the past three years, $60 million with Buck Showalter, you know, kind of leading it a little bit. Uh, I think it's a very good process to be in, especially with qualifying draft picks potentially coming back to for Davis, Weeder, uh, Wee and Chan, and even Bud Norris if he, you know, all of a sudden improves during the second half. But yeah. I think Orioles' expectations are high, fans' expectations are high, but the trade deadline is going to be a good indication of what's going to happen, but also this offseason, whether the Orioles go out there and spend on free agency is going to be a big telltale sign. Andrew, um, let everyone know where we can find you again.
1: Uh, yeah, no doubt. I'm, I'm writing at massinsports, uh, com every Monday morning, uh, doing a guest blog there, and then on Thursdays, I'm doing a, a little piece that I call Thursday Thoughts. I've kind of modeled it off of a, uh, you know, Sports Illustrated's Peter King, is things. I think um, I've just c- kind of ramble on and 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 write about some stuff that I, you know, am, uh, some Orioles related things that are on my mind and and some, some talking points, kind of like we're doing right here uh, with this trade deadline discussion. And uh, that's every Thursday morning at, over at UtahShootReport dot com.
0: And for those that want to follow Andrew on Twitter, uh, you can follow him at a Stetka. And Andrew, we appreciate you coming on Bird's Eye View again. We look forward to talking to you in the future.
1: Anytime, guys.
0: I'm just a typical American boy from a typical American town. I believe in God and Senator Dodd, and keep an old Castro down. And when it came my time to serve, I knew better dead than red. But when I got to my old draft board, buddy, this is what I said. Besides I'm only 18, I got a ruptured spleen, and I always carry a purse. I got eyes like a bat. I say, by the time you hear this podcast, you will know that the Orioles selected DJ Stewart. Outfielder from Florida State, uh, projected to be a left fielder. you picked picked him with the 25th pick. And look, we're not going to pretend like we've been following this guy throughout his career from travel ball to high school. to the time I brought him orange slices at college. But what we can tell you is this. Um, he's got a great on-base percentage at five hundred. A really weird batting stance. Um, you know, slightly above average, you know, defense. He could be a decent corner outfielder but definitely not the world-beater like we expected. But really good in sparing the ball across the field, both the left field, right field, and center field. Just a really good uh, aspect for people who can't shift against him. Should be a really interesting player to watch develop. Um, Definitely has some tools.
2: I I think they went after a polished college bat, which is actually something I I saw in the approach when they got Matt Wieters. You know, Matt Wieters, of course, was Jesus and Cleats and all that other kind of good stuff. But it was a, a player that was going to be somewhat ready. I, I think when a team picks a college player rather than a high school player, they forego getting that guy in their system, the high school kid in their system, and, and raising them right, and rather getting a, a product that they can push towards the majors sooner. I, I thought it was an interesting choice with their first-round draft pick. I, I know that you thought that maybe they could have gone another way.
0: I mean, I think at the thirty, they have a 36 pick here, and we're going to see what they drop there. But um, I think it was a little, little early, but... The Orioles are certainly drafting college bat because they need something now. And, you know, with the recent draft selections, uh, the major league roster hasn't been filled a lot with position players. Um, Matt Wieters was, of course, back in 2007, and that certainly seems like it's a long time ago. Um, Brian Mattis has been a disappointment. Um, And since 2007, the Orioles have only seen Matt Wieters, Brian Mattis, Manny Machado, Dylan Bundy in a very limited capacity, and Kevin Gossman in the majors in some capacity. Um, Certainly not a great track record of getting players to the majors for prolonged periods of time. And Bundy and Gossman are major question marks at this time whether they can actually reach that can't-miss level that they were as being top prospects. Um, And Hunter Harvey is another selection that appears to be someone in can't-miss territory being a middle-round territory, middle pick, um, but those injury concerns being starting pitching is definitely something that has to be a concern. Um, I guess what I want to do was, you know, looking at the Orioles and looking how they've drafted, I wanted to compare them to some of the success of other teams in the past few years. And looking at the numbers in terms of players going into the team and looking at it in terms of war, which I know people have sometimes an issue with, the Orioles are pretty much dead last or in the bottom of the league in terms of percentile. So certainly not something that the Orioles have had a good track record of. And I don't think any Orioles fans are surprised by this.
2: No, and, and you say, you know, oh, we're going to use war here. But I think it's just as good a tool as any of looking in general at a high level of whether a player is good or not. But you look at teams that succeed at this, and you look at teams that are bad at this, and it's not hard to see. The Orioles are bad at this. And you look back at the the – picks that they've made over the last, we'll call it the last 10 years, and teams that are a little better at it, they're they're terrible about it. But it's it's not just the war that they struggle with. When you look at just about every metric that is out there for comparing clubs and their drafted players, the orals are down there near
0: the bottom. And you know, as much as we give a hard time to big market teams like Boston that go out and spend money on prospects, Boston has done a great job at developing talent. And we're coming into a game tomorrow on Tuesday night where we're going to be going against Eduardo Rodriguez. And the discussion has to be had of Eduardo Rodriguez was, you know, a borderline top 100 prospect while he was with the Orioles number three prospect in the organization, but certainly wasn't flourishing in the organization. He's traded away for Andrew Miller, goes into the Red Sox organization and clicks to another level. And is now ranked as a top 20 prospect in baseball and has been absolutely lights out since coming up to major league baseball. Well, like we talked about with Mike Wright, there's a good chance that that's going to promptly go away. And we saw that with Mike Wright. Eventually, the book got out, line drives started to be hit. I think that's going to be a similar case for Eduardo Rodriguez. But Eduardo Rodriguez is a, definitely a better pitcher now that he's in the Red Sox organization, the, the Orioles organization. And that has to raise concern for Baltimore Orioles fans, not so much in terms of just drafting, but development within the minors as well.
2: It's failures on two fronts. And here's the thing. No team is going to hit on every
0: single pick. No. I mean that's that's foolish to think. But generally the tendency is one in six draft picks gets to the major league level. And in the first round, about seventy five percent actually get to the major leagues. People that actually are day in and day out starters is only around twenty five percent. So definitely not a up there's definitely gonna play all the time like in the NFL where it's a first round draft pick, you expect them to, you know, contribute that's not really the case in Major League Baseball.
2: But having said that, you'd think that the Orioles, over a long period of time, would have a better track record of just getting anybody yeah. there. Um, so I wanted to take a look at the Orioles' uh, recent history. Again, I'm going to go back 10 years, 2005 and onward. Compared to some of the clubs that, that are successful right now and have been successful in the draft, um, just look back at the Orioles' draft. In 2005, the first round draft pick was Brandon Snyder. Who was drafted as a catcher, and he went promptly nowhere. In he's back in the organization though, isn't he? Like I said, promptly nowhere. Oh, okay. Uh, in two thousand six, it was Billy Rowell. Uh, Moving on. In two thousand seven, here's where things got less awful. All but, right, yeah. Two thousand seven, Matt Wieters. I think I think you could say that that was a great success of a pick.
0: Okay. Yeah. number, he, he number, number five live,
2: pick. He didn't live up to the hype. But who could have lived up to that hype? I think he's been a very good player and a cornerstone player for the team as it's come out of futility. So I will say, great pick. Okay. Next year,
0: Brian Mattis. Oh, number four pick in that draft. Woof. Yeah, number four pick. Oh my gosh, that is absolutely horrible. And I'm going to come back to the next year too. Matt Hobgood, number five pick in the first round. And the Orioles absolutely whiffed on that draft pick. And this just goes to show how poorly the Orioles have done. You had uh, Billy Rawl, I hate to go back to it. Number nine pick, Brian Madison, number four pick, and you had Matt Hobgood as number five pick. All those complete stinkers, complete stinkers. And there's really no, there's really no way to get around it. You really can't have that kind of track record with top ten picks. If you're going to do that, well, then you're going to have a, a bad teams going forward for many years to come. Oh wait, oh wait, that's what happened to us. Yes,
2: I will say that uh, in recent history in the McPhail and Duquette. Uh, particularly in the duquette rounds you've had uh, very good draft picks uh manny machado in 2010 obviously has has made it at the major league level dylan bundy kevin gosman again they were can't miss picks you don't know whether or not they're going to make it to that point dylan bundy is an injury issue i would say it's not i would i would argue it's not a development failure
0: it's an injury situation i think it's an injury situation and you know you still have to rely on the scouts and you still have to rely on, you know, how people are progressing when they're coming up from the minors. And generally, those scouts have a pretty good track record and they still feel very confident in Dylan Bundy and Kevin Gossman to be great con- contributors. Um, I will I
2: will say that Kevin Gosman will be an interesting case study in development because yep. eventually we're going to see him pitch.
0: We have to eventually see him pitch. And he's either going to be great or he's not. But, I mean, Hunter Harvey, for example, in the 2013 season, 22 pick, and again, is predominantly... A number, you know, a top twenty prospect in, in most people's uh, in, in top one hundred prospects. So that's a great pick for the Orioles to say, "I'm able to go out and get a top a 20, uh, twenty-two round twenty number two, blah, 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 a number twenty two pick and still be that effective um, in, in picking out a prospect." So kudos to the Orioles, like you said, over the past few years for being able to develop talent and you know, pick uh, efficiently.
2: And of course, no 2014 first round draft pick for the Baltimore Orioles because of the, uh, pickup of Nelson uh, Cruz. Oh no. Abaldo Menes. Abaldo Menes. Exactly. So again, one of those things where you want to go out and get free agents. That's great. Sometimes they cost draft picks and that's, that's the type of thing that a winning club occasionally will do. All right. I want to go back though. We, we went through that, that list of Orioles draft picks. I want to take just a couple of quick case studies and look at in the same period of time, other clubs that are successful, other clubs that aren't huge market teams are doing so much better. I want to take a look. I'm sorry. At the cross town Washington nationals. In the same period that we just covered, mm-hmm. all right, in two thousand five, the National selected Ryan Zimmerman. Okay. In two thousand seven, Ross Detweiler, a major league player. Yep. In two thousand nine, Drew Storen. In two thousand uh, also in two thousand nine, Steven Strasburg. In twenty ten, Bryce Harper. Now, of course, Bryce Harper. And Steven Strasburg
0: were the number one, number one, number one. Yeah. So
2: you have to kind of handicap that. But my point was, but they
0: came back the next year and got Anthony Rendon, who was an almost an MVP type player last year, yep. and it was coming off an injury this year, but still really good performances. Of course, after that, the Nationals have kind of. Flake the bet a little bit, but but they regard. did
2: not waste their number six, number one, Correct. number one, number six picks, which is something we've seen the Orioles do.
0: I totally agree with you about that, and and that's the biggest thing is when you've got these top picks in the top ten, the Orioles need to succeed. When you're in the twenty fifth pick like they are today, it somewhat is a crapshoot to a certain regard. So DJ Stewart is going to be somewhat of a crapshoot, and we'll see what happens. He could turn into a great player. You know, Mike Trout was a number twenty five pick. I'm not saying that DJ Stewart's going to be a Mike Trout. <laughs> But, you know, these are—you're you're definitely taking a lottery pick after you get out of the first 15 picks of a, of a draft. So let's see what happens. But more importantly, the Oils need to continue to work to strive to work on the development system. Their drafting has been good over the past few seasons, but it all can fall apart very quickly if your development isn't there. All
2: right. I have a, I have a difficult question for you. Okay. All right, We right. We've seen the pain of trading away something good in Eduardo Rodriguez. Yeah. Whether or not he's going to be a real starter in this league, we've, we've felt the pang of trading away something good for something that, that wasn't real in, in the you know, couple months that we had uh, Andrew Miller. And we may get a very good taste of it on Tuesday. But let me ask you this. With guys like Dylan Bundy, should we, at this point, have traded off Bundy? Think about the haul that Bundy could at some point have brought this club Versus holding on to him and hoping that this system which has failed to develop pitchers since Mike Messina will finally come through. My question is, if the team was so bad for so long and failed to develop its own players, once they finally had something that other people regarded as valuable, is there an argument to be made that maybe they should have been dealing those guys for a lot of everybody else's picks?
0: Um that's possible, but that comes back to the whole discussion we had with Stetka and you kind of got to grow this talent and eventually you got to, you have to get back to that point, which we discussed, which is you've got to get to a, another top of the rotation starter and a Mike Mussina because you can see how much of a benefit it is for you to have, especially in the playoffs. And Mike Mussina during the 96, 97 playoffs was amazing in the 97 playoffs. I've never seen a pitching performance any better in the playoffs, except for maybe Madison Bumkarner last year. Um, so I've got no issue seeing if they could have developed Dylan Bundy into a a top-of-the-rotation pitcher.
2: And the other side of that is we saw the exact opposite approach was go out, buy it, Yeah. and the Orioles got burned by it in 2014 with what Ebola Jimenez was at the time. Now, I'm much happier with him in 2015, but they failed at both.
0: Yeah. All right, well, you know, we can rattle on about failures of the past and things like that, but let's talk about failures of this past week. Let's go talk some fantasy boss. Gosh darn it.
2: Oh. when it comes to kissing, I just gotta keep insisting on, oh baby, you sure do swing. When it
1: comes to kissing, I just gotta keep insisting on, oh daddy, you are the king. Baby, you got me beat up and down, inside, out, and across.
0: All right, Jake. So you won this week. Congratulations. You won on weighted ground, uh, weighted ground, uh, du- ground out double play balls. What? Uh, yeah. That it was you picked David Lowe, I picked Jimmy Paredes. And based off of fan graphs, uh, David Lowe had zero and Jimmy Paredes had zero. But I think David Lowe, off of the sixth significant figure that it went out to because he only had 12 plate appearances to Jimmy Paredes, 17. I think that means you're the winner.
2: What? No. I knew this was going to be a stupid category when I picked it, but I'm uncomfortable with going to six significant
0: figures. Uh, it, I, it might have been five significant figures, but it was pretty far out there. Can we just call this a tie? We've done ties in the past. I feel like this is the best. Uh, okay, let's call it a tie.
2: All right. I, I am willing to cede victory to call it a tie because I couldn't sleep at night. I'll
0: tell you what. Your condolence prize was you got to listen to Gwen Stefani.
2: Thank you. I appreciate it. No
0: problem. All right. I
2: think we, what we should do is this. Okay. All right. I will think of a topic... You think of a category. We'll flip a coin, okay. and and whoever wins will go ahead and and pick this particular uh, category. I'm going to use a uh, Corona Extra bottle cap as okay. our coin. Do you want heads, or do you want tails? Oh, I want heads. There's
0: no question about it. Oh, it's tails. All right, Jake. Go ahead. Pick your category. All right. That, f- a- that seems appropriate, since you kind of sort of won with a fifth significant figure.
2: So you're going to make me feel cheap about this?
0: Of course. You always should feel cheap.
2: All right. <laughs> I'm going to go with the number of pitches per plate appearance. Okay. This is something that I, we've been talking about in the last couple of weeks. Sure. People not having patient at-bats, coincidentally going along with them not succeeding at the plate. Yeah. Uh, you know, whether or not it's a matter of, as, we talked, as I talked about on Twitter with Pat Holden, a approach versus uh, an effort issue, or if it's simply dumb luck. Whatever the case is, the more pitches you look at, the harder you make the pitcher work, the better chances that you will see a good pitch to hit. So we're going with number of pitches per plate appearance. Scott Magnus, who are you taking in this particular
0: week? Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Chris Davis.
2: You go with Chris Davis. Now, I think that is a bold strategy.
0: Yeah.
2: I think it is a bold strategy. Now, he has been a leader in the past. He has. But if he's not on the way he oh, was if for he's not a couple on,
0: of days, it's going to be... Oh, actually, you know, it actually might be good, too, because if he strikes out, at least he still sees three pitches.
2: That's true. <laughs> That's true. It is hard to strike out on the first pitch. Yep. Uh, I'm going to go with Manny Machado.
0: Okay. That's, that was my other thing in my head. I think Manny Machado's play discipline has really improved, especially being the lead off hitter as well. I think Manny Machado and Chris Davis are the two best picks for this week.
2: Here's a, here's a wild card dark sure. horse for you. You know who's actually not bad at this lately? Matt Wieters? Delman Young. Oh, Delman Young. The thing is with Delman Young is he gets down into two-strike territory, and he fouls off a lot of pitches. Gotcha. So I'm going to put it there.
0: All right. I always find that that happens, it's best for me just to turn around and yeah, throw the bat at the umpire. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and yell out some slurs. And now that we've moved into that tour, territory,
2: let's go ahead and see... Who will own it in Fantasy Boss this week? And with that, it's time for a little good, the bad, and the ugly. That's right, it's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. Usually how this works out is that Scott uh, gets to go last because the quality of his rants far exceed quality of my own. So for the good, you know what, Scott? I'm actually going to hold on to my good. What? Yep, I'm going to hold on to my good. We're going to come back to This is unprecedented. It. I'm going to hold on to my good. We're okay. going to come back to it at the end. Scott,
0: what's your good for this week? My good for the week is going to go to Matt Weeters. a welcome sign to see him back, come back in the lineup on Friday. And what was... Uh, Pretty instrumental, I think, in terms of the lineup. But the most interesting thing I saw was the deke in order to get the triple, which is pretty cool to see, but had an absolutely banner of three games. 519, Wobo, 244, Waiter, unscredited plus. But the deke for the triple gets me his good for the week. Good job, Matt Waiters. Keep up the good
2: work. Isn't this the player we thought we were going to see in 2009? Uh, let's not go that far. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to go ahead to bad. My bad for this week is David Lowe. Look, David Lowe, you're giving the team no reason not to DFA you. And their trigger finger is a happy. At this point, the club has already said that they are bringing up Nolan Reimold. What have you done for me late? No, not lately. What have you done for me, period? You have given me nothing to say. Do
0: not DFA this player. He's a backup center fielder.
2: He's done nothing to
0: say. <laughs> Do not DFA this player. He plays backup center field. That is not something he has done. He did it when Adam Jones was hurt for two games. Yes.
2: Yes. That is not a talent. That is a happenstance.
0: Okay, gotcha. All right. My bad for the week is going to go to the counterpart to Matt Wheaters, Caleb Joseph, who's been struggling mightily at the plate. Caleb Joseph had a banner start to the season. But over the past week, uh, let's go through his average. .083. Okay, that's pretty bad. His on-base percentage. .083. Oh. Let's look at his slugging percentage, 0.083. Yeah, that's a pretty bad week for uh, Caleb Joseph and his 13-plate appearances. Caleb Joseph, that's, that's pretty bad. Moving on. We're at ugly, right? We are at ugly now. My ugly for this week
2: is Brian Mattis. <sighs> Brian Mattis, you have put this team in a situation in which it is going a man short. I would forgive this if you had brought any value to this club prior to doing that. And I don't just mean between 2008 and now. I mean this season. Brian Mattis, you have given us nothing. And because of you, this team is in a serious roster crunch in a time of the season where I'm not going to call it must win. We're not there yet. It's must win. But the wins need to start taking place. If people got on Chris Davis for putting himself out of the lineup at a crucial part of the Orioles season in 2014— Brian Mattis, we need to look squarely at you and say you have put this club in a bad position, and that, my friend, is ugly.
0: I'm going to put an addendum on here saying that Brian Mattis' reports coming from Brady Anderson saying that he – Brady said that he's the best that he's ever looked. Uh, that's all I need to hear from that beautiful, beautiful, wonderful center field Hall of Famer in my eyes. Um Okay, my ugly for the week is going to go to – This whole broken bat situation that's currently going about in baseball, which is just ugly, just a really bad situation that happened. Um, You know, there was an article about this on Yahoo. I believe Jeff Jeff Passan posted it, Um, and he was talking about a fan that got hit out of Dodger Stadium. But, you know, take a look at how many fans have gone to baseball games over the past 10 years. We've had probably over 500 million fans go out there, and now we've had two fans get injured here. You know, I'd like to make a big deal of it. And, you know, this whole thing with the protective netting is, you know, a fine conversation to have. But let's not blow something out of proportion in this regard. It's two people out of millions of people. Um, if that's the case, you know, then we shouldn't be going swimming in the ocean because, you know, a shark could attack you based off of the random occurrence of there. Yeah, it's a terrible situation. Yeah, it's terrible that it happened to a single mom. It's a awful injury um it's a situation where you know major league baseball needs to take a look at the bad situation but let's not you know go full blown stupid on this and let's think about this and go about it in a rational fashion and do the proper research on it as opposed to just you know reactive reacting instinctively and just saying oh let's just do something to do something so that's my only for the week
2: can we go back to my good yeah let's go back to your good my good is jeremy guthrie
0: Ooh, my okay. good
2: this week is Jeremy Guthrie, who is a guy who didn't have enough wins on the field for my taste, but off the field was always, in my view, an insightful guy, an honest guy. Okay, a guy who, in an interview, was accountable to himself and looked out for his teammates. Okay, he was a guy that I could look to always for a well thought out, non cliche answer. So I want to go to Twitter this week. Yeah, to Jeremy Guthrie. Jeremy Guthrie tweeted out in a couple of tweets. I've personally had conversations with Rob Manfred and others at MLB and MLBPA over the years. Last year I was fined, and was later overturned, uh, for endangering fans in the upper deck when I tossed a ball at the top tier at Kauffman Stadium. I used the appeal process to express my uh, overwhelming concern for fans who are left unprotected at our games. The response was surprising, yet expected. Prayers for the fan who is critically injured today. I know how bad each player feels being a part of these avoidable situations. Regardless of what the answer is, and Scott, I agree with you that there is a very good chance that we can overreact in this situation. Regardless of what the right answer is, I appreciate Jeremy Guthrie taking the time to think about it, taking the time to bring it up in a conversation, and bring it up in a way that it makes it not just about, are these businesses trying to cover their liability? But bring it to: these are the guys who play the game. These are the guys you root for. These are the guys that love the game, and the fans and their safety matter to these guys. Whether or not action gets taken because of these four tweets from Jair McGuthrie, I still appreciate that he took the time to do it, and for that, he's he's my good this week. He's not
0: in my doghouse after that. Wearing that these O's ain't royal shirt. Don't want you for that. Okay. All right, with that, we're going to go ahead and blow the save. And, uh, you know, Jake, you mentioned that it's, you know, not quite time to basically say it's must-win territory. But in reality, it's must-win territory now. Um, The Orioles are going to go into this week playing the Red Sox for three games, the Yankees for three games, and then coming up against the Phillies. Jake, in this homestand, this eight-game homestand, they've got to go at least five and three. They have to. If they don't go five and three it's it's not going to happen it's as simple as that they need to start putting together a successful situation um there was an article today on uh, on fan and it comes from our good friend jeff sullivan he posted over there about what it needs to take in order to basically turn into a playoff team and it certainly looked like you know after june 15th there was a high amount of correlation between the winning percentage you're posting after this time up through the rest of the season. Um, and just seeing you know how well you do for the rest of the season is is a good indication now of what's going to happen. So if the Orioles are going to make a run, it has to be now. The time before this, all noise. I'm going to throw it out again. Twins, first place in American League, American League, all noise. If the Orioles want to succeed and get to the playoffs again, they have to start winning now. Must win territory. That's my blow in the safe. All right. All right well with that i guess we can uh go ahead and start closing out the show because um well the show's gone long again i apologize to everyone for having to sit with us for nearly an hour about this time um you shouldn't let me talk we talk about this every time before the show don't let jake talk i just shouldn't just let you talk about jeremy guthrie it's as simple as that that just people instantly tuned out as soon as that happened um like i said big homestand coming up or red Sox, phillies um Lots of good geek baseball to have they had. Go out to the yard, support your team, and shout down those Red Sox and Yankees fans that are sure going to be coming to the ballpark. Jake, anything else you want to say? I got nothing else. Come
2: see us on uh, Postgame Live on Tuesday and Thursday. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I bid you a fond
0: adieu, adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there. Chip your bartenders accordingly. And let's go O's. DJ Stewart, really?
2: Ty Wigginton Light.
1: You're still here?
2: It's over. Go home. Go!